This episode is brought to you by Paid Memberships Pro. Well, actually, it's their other product, Sitewide Sales at SitewideSales.com. It's a complete Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and Flash Sales tool for WooCommerce or Paid Memberships Pro. Before you know it, the deal day holidays will be fast upon us and you want to prepare your WooCommerce or Paid Memberships Pro website with the Sitewide Sales plugin. Use it to make custom sale banners, targeted landing pages, or apply discounts automatically in the cart. Use it to track the performance of all of these promotional features using their reporting feature, which will paint the picture of your Black Friday and holiday shopping sales. Use it to help make your WooCommerce or Paid Memberships Pro store more money. Get the first 30 days for free, and then it's an easy $49 a year. Check out sitewidesales.com. That's sitewidesales.com to make more money this holiday sale season. Let me tell you about creatorcourses.com slash Matt and how you can save 20% off using code Matt to grab a hold of the great courses instructed by none other than Joe Casabona. So what can you get from creatorcourses.com slash Matt? Courses to help business owners create stuff with absolutely no code. Learn how to build a website using Beaver Builder, Gutenberg, or both. And that's not all. Visit creatorcourses.com slash Matt and save 20% off Joe's other courses on PHP, full site editing, and my two favorites, podcasting and automation. I think learning the automation stuff is well worth the ticket in my eyes. Go to creatorcourses.com slash Matt right now. Seriously, stop the podcast and use code Matt at checkout to save 20% off. That's creatorcourses.com slash Matt and use code Matt to save 20% off today. I appreciate a good side hustle story. Someone slogging away in the cubicle, but slowly building up an audience on Twitter on the weekends. I'm sure you know all about the build in open movement and today's guest really shocked me with that. See, maybe like you, I've listened to Dave Rodenbaugh and his podcast with my boss, Craig, Rogue Startups for years now. But what really got me in today's story is that he was never really even part time into his business recapture.io. In fact, the way he put it, he was only devoting 10% of his energy into the business while being contracted at a corporate gig he recently had the chance to exit from. There's a lot of fun stuff in today's episode, covering everything from managing a day job to which marketing skills you need as a developer to kickstart your business. I hope you really enjoy it. You're listening to The Matt Report, a podcast for the resilient digital business builder. Subscribe to the newsletter at mattreport.com slash subscribe and follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Better yet, please share this episode on your social media. We'd love more listeners around here. And side note, I had to re-record with Dave after some Zencaster snafus. So we're picking up from our conversation a little bit warmed up. Okay, I hope you enjoy. One of the things that I, I caught you at a great time last time because you were only, I think, like two weeks a free man on your own. You got out of that sort of day job slash consultancy that you were in. I had you at an interesting moment where you were like, everything's coming at me. This is exciting. Uh, I, I'm kind of like looking to go to the next chapter of, of running recapture. Is that feeling still here or now that we're like a month into it, things have settled like, oh my God. <laughs> You know, it, it's kind of funny. It hasn't really, I, I've not felt that euphoria lift yet. I imagine at some point it probably will. No, this is, this is definitely the honeymoon phase, right? And at some point, the honeymoon phase will always go away. But I still feel it. In fact, I was just having breakfast with my wife this morning. We were sitting outside 
And I noted to her, I said, Hey, it's been almost two months since I left the freelance job. And she went, I know. And I was like, and it's still great. (laughs) (laughs) So still, I still get up in the morning and we go do our walk and I come back and I have breakfast and coffee. And I'm like, I get to spend my day on whatever the hell I want to today, which is of course recapturing my business. But there's something still very energizing about that. Like it's all, it's my own experience. I'm not really beholden to anybody other than the customers. I don't have to deal with stupid bullshit meetings and phone calls and status reports and just all of that stuff that I had to deal with in the corporate world. It's just all gone. Like that lift, that, that weight has still lifted off my shoulders and I'm just as happy then as I am now. One of the things I think, you hide really well. And I don't know if this was intentional or I, I, I maybe just never even saw it because I've always been just looking at what you were doing with the recapture. You've been on the show, my podcast before. You have the podcast with Craig, who uh, happens to be my boss. I never knew how much, and then we had our discussion more in depth. I never knew how much that freelance gig uh, was sort of like weighing you down or how much it consumed when you and I chatted. I think you threw out the the ratio of like it was 90% day job and 10% recapture. And I, that was kind of mind blowing, like how you manage that. How did you manage like so much of recapture with only 10% uh, energy? That's an excellent question. And some days I'm amazed that it, things were able to progress along as well as they had because of that exact issue. And in fact, that was one of the main things I think that sort of drove me into this direction. Like recapture could be doing so much better. And here I am barely giving it enough oxygen to survive. Why, why can't I do more? So, but it wasn't always this way. The freelance thing, it was probably at one point it was like, 40% freelance and 60% everything else. But at the time, that 60% was a good chunk of the WordPress plugins I had that I sold last year and recapture. So, you know. That was the directory, uh, business directory plugin. That was business directory and AWPCP. So those were things that all consumed my time. And I think when you said hiding, I think that's an excellent uh, observation because I... I definitely compartmentalize when it comes to things like, here's this chunk of my business, here's this other chunk, here's this other chunk. And I could operate in each of those worlds fairly separately without letting them bleed into each other. But there came a point when the freelancing just was such a mentally taxing thing to deal with. I had just all kinds of toxic stuff going on in the corporate culture that I was there and the project that I was working on and the direction that it was all going. And it just, at some point I was like, this is too much. I can't deal with this anymore. I can't keep it in the box. It's bleeding out into everything else. So usually when I got onto podcasts like the Matt Report, it would give me an opportunity to express the enthusiasm for that box that I didn't get to really express any other way. So it was like my brief window into positive energy venting, if you will. And then it was back to the slog of the corporate world. And yeah, so yeah, <laughs> that's, just, that's tough. How much of the success of Recapture thus far 
is because you chose, these are my words, these are, are not your words, so obviously I, I hope for you to color in the lines here, but how much of the success of Recapture is the market and the product that you chose? And I'll preface that with saying is like, abandoned cart problems are, or solutions, I should say, there's a lot of them. I feel like it's a big space, which is, some people might look from the sidelines going, God, I don't want to get into that space. There's so much competition. But I feel like maybe in your case, it it is and was a good thing. If you look at, uh, I think, Cart Hook probably was where you were at and then just matured into a much larger product and solution. I think right on the heels of our recording that we had, Jilt shut down, which was a sort of like another, I guess, yep. benefit to you. How much of the success do you think has, has leaned on, hey, I, I picked the right product and the right market? Because sometimes I think that could be something that kind of goes under the radar that a lot of people aren't aware of. Well, I, I talked about this on other podcasts and I'll mention it here as well. I believe very heavily in the notion of luck surface area. So I'll, just a quick definition for somebody who might not be familiar with this. Basically, everyone in business is going to encounter some level of luck. And whether you're prepared for that luck or unprepared for that luck has to do with the surface area that you've created. So in other words, can I capitalize on this lucky opportunity that comes around at this time because I've made some kind of preparation for it, I'm ready to accept it, I've got the bandwidth to deal with it, like all of these things have to kind of line up. I've had opportunities that appeared in my space and I wasn't ready to capitalize them. So they weren't within my luck surface area. But being being ready for those opportunities makes a huge difference in whether you're successful or not successful. So there were definitely lots of, uh, we'll call them lucky moments. We all want to think that entrepreneurship is solely about hard work and hard work is a piece of it and you can't succeed without the hard work. But at the same time, every element of luck that you encounter that you can capitalize on will level up your business. And the more of those that you can do, the better off you will end up being. The same thing is true of Castos. When Craig and I have talked about this on the podcast and Craig, you and Craig have encountered many lucky moments in Castos, getting into Tiny Seed, him having an opportunity to hire you when you were available. Each of these helps build on all of the previous moments that you've had before it. And the same thing is true with Recapture. So like, for example, when I was able to acquire Recapture back in 2016, that was a lucky moment for me because I happened to have the money to do it. And I was looking specifically for something that was e-commerce, SaaS, recurring revenue. And it was in a space that I understood and it was a space that I could be passionate about. So that is a lucky moment where all of those things that kind of I've been preparing for came together in, in one shot. And then after that, like the pandemic was another lucky moment. I know this was not lucky for a lot of people that lost loved ones, but if you were in e-commerce, Everything kind of took off in certain verticals and certain services. Recapture was one of those services. And because we had been spending a lot of time integrating with WooCommerce, integrating with Easy Digital Downloads, integrating with Restrict Content Pro, being on Shopify at that point and optimizing our listing and all of these things, when that massive uptick in e-commerce store interest went on, we were there and able to capitalize on it because we were available to people. We, we had enough 
interest and awareness in the community that people were able to take us and and use the service at the time that they needed it the most. So that's another lucky opportunity we were able to capitalize on. And it's just building on moments like that again and again and again in your business, which entails, like I said, a lot of hard work and you've got to get out there and you've got to do the homework. I had to network with the, I have a relationship with Nexus and Liquid Web. And I think I was trying to, I was badgering poor Chris Lemma for like 12 months, no joke. Like every two months, I just like ping out and say, hey, what's going on? Are you guys ready to integrate this yet? And they were like, yeah, no, not talk to me in a little bit. And I just kept doing that and kept doing that and kept doing that. And eventually it turned initial relationship and then Jilt shut down. And now it's a bigger relationship because they were relying on Jilt. So again, it's about timing and persistence and hard work. And the more you can make that surface area big, these lucky events that come flying through your space, you can grab a hold of them and let it ride your business higher. Where do you rank the priority of like developing features versus being social and networky and markety in the the grand scheme of your luck surface area? Like if you were sitting in front of a class of one year WordPress plugin entrepreneurs who are mostly developers, would you tell them to increase the luck surface area by creating those integrations or, hey, you got to blog more, you got to outreach more, maybe start a podcast. Where do you set those priorities to, to increase that luck surface area? I would never prioritize features on that list until I had some understanding of what's out there in the space. Like we didn't integrate with WooCommerce and Easy Digital Downloads because I love those two so much. It happens that I do, but that's not why I integrated with them. I integrated with them because there was a huge market opportunity and doing that meant that I can go after those opportunities and it allows me to be in other spaces. So I understood the market well enough to know that those were good plays. But part of what I would say to that younger group of plugin authors is that the reason that I knew those things is that I had created relationships first. So I had attended events like WordCamps and Pressnomics, where I talked with these other hosting companies and plugin authors and agencies and all of these other things to understand what are their concerns? Who are the people in the space that are the movers and the shakers that I can learn more from that if I connect with, it's going to improve my sphere of being able to do better things in the world, right? It's not about me personally. It's about how can I improve my impact on the world? And that you're not going to get that sitting around typing features out on a keyboard. So those things matter, but they don't matter first. Like you need to get the other things before you can get the features because you won't know the right features to build until you've talked to people, talked to your customers, talked to other people that are going to use your tool, talked to hosting providers that might find a way to use you to improve the offerings to their customers. If you can make somebody better with your product, then they're going to be interested in you. But you're not going to know that unless you get out there and talk to other people and find out what the hell they're doing, right? Yeah. Podcasting is another great way to do that. I forget which episode of Rogue Startups it was, but it might've been a more recent one when you were talking about the new SMS functionality of the product. And 
you'll have to remind me of like what the context was, but you said something like, here I am working on something else. And like the SMS stuff is just sitting, waiting to go, <laughs> or at least that's how I kind of remember it. And you weren't, you were like, oh God, I, if I just, I just got to get out there and launch this. Like, what am I doing? Spending all this time in this area when I can just, this feature is almost kind of ready. Let, let me just launch it. I think that that's such a common, well, first of all, am I getting that right? Am I remembering this this tug of war you had at one point with releasing that feature and other things you were doing? I think so. So there was a, a combination of forces that were coming in at the time. And we were talking about trying to release SMS. First, it was going to be in April, then it was going to be in May, and then it was going to be in June. And it finally got released on July 1st. So I don't have to say that anymore, but <laughs> <laughs> thank God. But it, it it, I got distracted by a bunch of other things. And one of the things I think that kills us as entrepreneurs is lacking focus. So you see, and I, I'm as guilty as anybody else. Here's a new shiny object over here. Ooh, look at that. If we develop that, boy, that would really make a move on MRR. Oh, wait, but we could be doing this marketing hack right here instead. And all of those things are just constantly coming up in your, your field of view. And you've got to nail it down and say, look, I did this thing. If I don't shove it out the door now, I'm in big trouble. So for me with the SMS stuff, what that came down to was that I was distracted by content marketing and I spent like a month trying to hire a content marketer. And then the jilt shutdown came along in June and all of a sudden everything got shuffled, right? So then it was like, oh geez, well, SMS isn't going to really move the needle with jilt customers because jilt didn't support SMS. So now what do I need to do to make it so that jilt customers would be better served by recapture. Well, I got to add marketing emails, broadcast emails. And so we were really close on that one too. So we just bundled it all together. SMS was done. And so we just put these two and said, all right, July 1st is when we're launching. We finished that up inside of a week in June and then pushed it out the door. But yeah, focus was killing me there. And that was totally my bad. Yeah. And then Back to, I guess, the the luck surface area, and you hinted ab- about this before too, is you have a plan and you, we, everyone says, hey, create a plan, create a, uh, a calendar, like have these automations and these processes and everything will be running smoothly. And then suddenly it's like, okay, well, maybe this new feature, yeah, and it blows up and you're like, oh, maybe this new feature. And then like you start building a new feature, then suddenly Jilt shuts down and that's just a mat. Like now you have to be like, okay. I literally have to drop all this other stuff because this is just now a massive opportunity. Um, and, and this is not really a question, but more of a statement just to frame it. Like we went through this, we're going through this at Castos, and I'm only bringing it up because you talk to Craig every week, but it's like, we're doing all of these things where new products, new features, new things are rolling out, new enhancements. And then suddenly it's like, there's an opportunity to buy another company. Well, that's a pretty big deal. And like, now we do that. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah. there's that. And then You're there's, the right, Craig working in his, working his butt off to raise money and he raises money uh, for the company. And then it's just like right back to the feature grindstone of finish the migration. Now we've got this app that just launched literally yesterday, yesterday, yep, Monday. I mean, and now this is like right back to the feature grindstone. And you're like, wow, like things move at a, a pace that's it's exciting, but also, man, there's no plan for this. There's no playbook. There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing. There's no there's question. A, yeah, no. There's a, there's a certain chaotic insanity to the whole entrepreneur journey, and in some ways, you can do all the planning you want, but no plan survives first contact with a customer. And 
in many cases, no plan survives first contact with random events that happen out in the real world. Acquiring companies, getting funding, jilt shutdowns, all of these things, just things happen. And the speed at which you can react to something is definitely whether your business lives or dies in these events. And it definitely is also whether the business grows or fails in these times as well. Those that were not able to take advantage of the dynamic nature of the e-commerce, if they weren't pivoting hard during their vertical, like if you were in the travel vertical during COVID shutdown, people were just pounding on you with a sledgehammer into the ground, like six (laughs) feet deep. They didn't stop. But if you were in like like uh, loungewear, sweatpants, hoodies, things like that, you couldn't keep the stuff inside your warehouse long enough to sell it. So you had to be reactive to the, the active circumstances there or it kills your business. And that's what Craig's doing with Castos. And that's what I'm trying to do with Recapture for sure. Yeah. I want to go back to talking about partnerships, which will eventually segue into Word, into WooCommerce versus Shopify. But before we get to okay. that flaming ball of chaos, uh, navigating partnerships in WordPress, I'm interested to hear just your opinion on it. Sometimes I think, especially for somebody like you with a product that could really latch on to a hosting company, mm-hmm. those are very tricky waters to nap. I know I used to work at Pagely and it was just like, Man, like people wouldn't even say WP Engine around me. Like it wasn't like uh, like <laughs> who are I they? Certainly, we, don't, we don't talk about that. No. <laughs> yeah, like I wasn't on any of those podcasts where there were other web hosts. Like it is a very. I feel like in the hosting world, maybe it's getting a little bit better that it was like you got to be in a camp, and that's the camp you're in, and there's isolation there. Any thoughts around navigating? And and also just like critical feedback on products and services in the WordPress space, I feel like doesn't exist in the normal zeitgeist. Like I'm I'm looking at my Sony camera right now. And like if you went online to YouTube and you looked at or forum and you went to Sony versus Panasonic and there would be like great debate on like critical, like, but every, at the end of the day, everybody's fine about these two companies. But I feel like in the WordPress space, you don't get that like damn EDD for doing this. And this is why I'm WooCommerce. I I don't have the right phrase for it, but I feel like that partnership slash criticism in the WordPress space doesn't exist. Maybe because we're all too friendly with each other. Can I say that? (laughs) Like we're all too friendly. (laughs) I, I don't know. It's just a weird thing. Like I feel like if you walk down the street and talked about your favorite brand of anything else, there could be clear debate, clear, concise, love it, hate it. I could go without it. But in the WordPress space, that doesn't exist. Am I making sense with that? Like, do you feel that thing in the air like I do? I, I totally hear what you're saying on that one. And I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, there's there's definitely this weird space where it seems like you can talk about one hosting company, but you can never say hosting company A versus B. Right. Or if you do, like that discussion gets shut down real fast. And yeah. And I don't think it's a conscious thing, but I've seen it on chats and just over the years on blog posts. Like it's very rare that somebody sits down and truly compares one to the other head to head and say, look, if you really like these things, this hosting company makes a lot of sense. And if you like these things, then this other hosting company is a better fit for you. But yeah, so you were talking about navigating partnerships. I think it's kind of the same thing. Like as soon as you declare allegiance to one, 
it's almost like the others kind of look at you with a little side eye and yeah. with a little bit of stink eye on top of it. Right. And they're like, well, you've already got them in your camp. So we can't be in your camp at the same time. And I think that goes to the detriment of all WordPress users. Like there's nothing that says you can't be friendly and competitive in the same thing. And I think when you say that they're overly friendly, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't characterize it like that. I would characterize it as unwilling to criticize in general. It's something about the community. I don't know what it is if they are looking not to drum up drama and they feel like that's going to create unnecessary drama or unhelpful drama. It probably could. I, I definitely could see that that could get into some real nasty debates that just degenerate into ad hominem attacks and you suck because you picked. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. yeah. Back off, man. That's it. Yeah. We're not going there. That's, that's not necessary. So yeah, I don't know. It, it, I've, I've felt that and it's weird, but the partnership thing. Like, does it hold harder. you back now that you, like, I'll, I'll say, well, you can, de- you can define it. Is it a, is it a partnership with Nexus? And if so, like, do you feel like one, maybe you can't because you've signed something or two, like, do you feel like, ah, oh, man, it's going to be a little bit harder for me to knock on the door WP engine to do this because they see me over here with Nexus and Chris. So like that kind of friction that you think that holds you back at all? It doesn't hold me back. Let me right. say that. Okay. To sign. Cause like the stuff that I set up with Nexus, it wasn't exclusive anyway. And it was very friendly. Like, Look, I've got this thing. Your customers can use this thing. You've got this offering and it makes it more valuable to your customers if we say we put this on your dashboard here. Like it was very much, how can we make this a win-win thing? And like help, I will be happy to help create content to make your customers more successful. Like at the end of the day, that story should play well with any hosting company, right? If I can give you something that helps your customers be more successful and you help me bring more customers and we're both winning in this relationship, it shouldn't matter how many people I've set that deal up with because your customer's success should be the foremost thing at the top of your mind. But I don't know from if I have this deal going on with Nexus, does that make me a bit of a hot potato with WP Engine. I don't really know. I noticed that before I had any deal in place of any hosting company at all, like just getting to the right person who was interested in what I had to say and that saw the value of it was kind of a non-trivial thing to navigate, especially when folks are coming and going and coming and going. Even if you have the right contacts at these companies and the network relationships I've made, gives me some ins to most of these hosting companies where I can say, hey, I want to talk to so-and-so. It it still doesn't necessarily mean that that company is interested in your offering or that they're thinking about things the same way that you are. So it kind of is another thing where it has to all line up. They've got to be thinking about this the same way that you're thinking about this. And that's where I've met the most resistance, I think, is that I say, hey, are you thinking about a managed WooCommerce hosting? And I'm <laughs> like, okay, well, we're, we're already missing each other here. And I don't, maybe it's going to be a better fit in a year or two years or something yeah. like that. So with Nexus, they were very much like, yep, we've got that. Yep, we want this. All right, let's make it all happen with a little bit of persistence. It's so, almost... It almost and really almost makes you appreciate like uh, a bigger business, right? You kind of have an appreciation for it. And and again, I'll frame that is when you look at somebody like awesome, like Syed from Awesome Motive, right? Mm-hmm. And you see, well, the, the sheer size, the competency of business, and you have uh, a relationship there because that's where you sold the 
the plugins yeah, too, correct, yeah. right? So you kind of see there's a trust there and then you can kind of make sense because if you're just solo developer, Dave, knocking on the door of big web hosting conglomerate, they're going to look at you and be like, well, pff, man, we can't, this is way too much of a risk to just take your software, slap it right. in front of 30,000 uh, customers potentially, and we are just going to trust you. You start to kind of appreciate, okay, the bigger businesses can kind of win. There's more sustainability. There's better trust. There's just more invested in the whole thing. And as a small business owner, like you kind of get it once you start going through the throes of of navigating those, I, I don't know, corporate waters, enterprise waters, whatever you want to call it. You kind of appreciate it a little bit more. At least I do anyway. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. And it's interesting, these larger companies, because they're so big, like it's the difference between moving like a cheetah and moving like an elephant. You're the small startup, so you can navigate pretty quickly, make the fast sprints and turn quickly they're kind of plodding along in a very straight direction and they're not going to change their direction very quickly. So it takes them a while to get going in a direction. And then once they're going in that direction, it takes them a while to change directions. And the bigger the company gets, the bigger the elephant gets, right? Yeah. So by bringing in small companies, I think a lot of them want to increase their agility in that sense. But of course, there's that whole trust aspect. Like, we know you're smaller than us, but are you big enough that you can handle what we hand, hand over to you? And if yeah. that trust isn't there, then yeah, that's that's all gone. So again, this is part of the networking aspect. If yeah. you can have that relationship with another person and that they get to know your business and they're like, oh yeah, you've been around for a while. Oh, look, you've got some customers. Oh, look, you've served a lot of customers. Oh, you've done a pretty decent volume. Hey, maybe you not might not be a fly-by-night business and we might be able to trust you. Like that trust isn't something that just happens overnight. Right. You got to build it slowly over years. Yeah. Shopify versus uh, WooCommerce. When we Woo, chatted hands last- Hands down. Forget it. We're done. No. <laughs> no, I, I have a lot to say about this. Go ahead. <laughs> when we chatted last time, I think one of the things- Now, look, I have only set up a handful of Shopify generally out of just helping some friends and some local entrepreneurs in my area do it. I think one of the things- I'll try to make this a, a quick question. Like I, One of the things I really appreciate from Shopify is, uh, on the outside anyway- like their partnership program looks more mature, like the way they work with agencies looks more mature. And generally, I feel like they're willing to work with the freelancers of the world versus like WordPress or WooCommerce. It's kind of just like, see you later, bye. <laughs> like, we'll, You're on your we'll own. See, we'll see you, at the end of the, yeah, see you at the end of the road. And by the way, we'll sell $5,000 websites at WordPress.com. <laughs> and to me, that's like, man, like I look at Shopify and I'm like, yeah, WooCommerce, WordPress should have something like this. But I guess at the end of the day, it's not all roses and rainbows from, from the outside because Shopify is going to, you know, I guess watch like a watchful eye of what you're doing as an, as an app, as an integrator, as an agency. And if they see something that's super profitable, I guess they could just go, yeah, we'll just do that. We'll just do that in-house and just demolish your app, I guess, in the matter of seconds is, is what they could do. So again, sharp road to navigate. I like it from the outset. Like it's an opportunity for a freelancer or a small agency to get more work, but curious on your thoughts on partnership program and generally working with a Shopify versus a WooCommerce. Yeah. So you wanted a short answer, right? <laughs> well, I was, <laughs> I was trying to make a short question, which is impossible. Oh, okay. But... So I can have a long answer. Yeah. Good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So 
let me talk about the platforms first in general. So I think when you're picking Shopify versus Woo, there's a lot of things that go into that decision in general that should make you focus on what are the strengths of each of those platforms. So with Shopify, very easy to get started, low tech threshold to understand. There's lots of stuff that you can do without being a full stack developer integrate apps and just basically get a store up and running. So if you aren't sure like you're doing drop shipping or it's a new product and you're trying to find product market fit or product audience fit or whatever it is, I think Shopify gets you up and running quicker to something that's pretty polished that comes at a dollar cost. So the hosting at Shopify, the apps that you're adding on and all of that. But that can be managed. And I think it simplifies things and gets you going pretty well to where you want to be. With that said, once you reach a certain point and you're like, now I want my store to do this and I want my checkout to have this in it. And I want to use these payment methods, but not these other ones. And I also want this post purchase checkout flow to be going on. And I want these kind of abandoned cart emails and I want this and I want that. Like for somebody who knows exactly what they want, Shopify can be incredibly expensive and very frustrating because it has been traditionally difficult to customize. So this is where Woo's strength comes to play, in my opinion, is that if you're on the right hosting provider and you you know have a good agency that you can work with that knows what they're doing with Woo, and these are out there, you can do a nice build and you can customize the hell out of it and get exactly what you want. And if you've got a good developer on Woo, you can make it run as fast or faster than a Shopify store. So performance isn't an issue necessarily if you've done the right things and you've done your homework. And there are plenty of smart Woo stores that do that. The downside to that, of course, is complexity. And you've got to have a higher threshold of technical knowledge, either for yourself or a team to put that together. And you've got to find the right agencies and the right developers. And if you're talking about the energy in the Woo space and the energy in the Shopify space, they're pretty different. And there's a lot of energy in Shopify and it's hard to ignore that. And there's energy in Woo too, but to like sort out the wheat from the chaff is a little more challenging because those really good Woo developers aren't necessarily out there trumpeting themselves, talking about how great their agency is. I can tell you the top five Shopify development agencies right off the top of my head because of what I see on Twitter, because of what I see in their blogs and just general social media activity. I would have a harder time doing that for WooCommerce based on those factors. I know a few of them, but they're harder to pick out, right? So Do you think that's because Shopify helps prop those agencies up too I, and part of their marketing and messaging? Yes. So WooCommerce as a platform doesn't do enough for partners and agencies, not the way that Shopify does. Like here, Shopify at, at Unite announced that they were abolishing the 20% revenue share on all of their partner apps up to your first million dollars a year. So basically, it's like everybody on the platform got a 25% raise, including Recapture, which I was thrilled about. WooCommerce, if you want to go to their store, there was this discussion in post status that I was contributing to. If you are exclusive to the WooCommerce store, 40% revenue share. If you're non-exclusive, it's 60%. I understand why WooCommerce didn't want to just let every person possible onto the platform and turn it into the repo. Like the repo turned out to, it's kind of a 
we'll call it a mixed bag. I think that's the the most politically uh, correct way I could say it. Yeah, there's a lot of garbage out there and there's a lot of good stuff. And it does take some time to sort through it and figure out. I think they were trying to curate the WooCommerce store experience to be a little higher quality than that. But I think they went about it wrong. And it's been- That's 60% to automatic or 60%? 60% to automatic, yes. Wow. Which is like, come on, really? You're taking more than half my business- how am I supposed to be profitable at that point? It's not, yeah. This isn't a charity to you. So <laughs> these numbers are just wrong in my opinion. Right. Like yeah. they I don't mean, encourage Apple, developers. Apple catches a, a lot of flack for 30%. <laughs> right. Come on. Apple, Apple at 30% is considered untenable. And you all at WooCommerce that are doing 40 and 60%, come on, give me a break. It's why my plugins are never going to be on the WooCommerce repository. I know I'm not alone in this. So there are some plugins that are there, but guess what? They're all free. 40% of zero is still zero. So you're good. They're, they're asking to, for me to share my revenue 60% a month. You just killed my profitability to the point where I can't run my business anymore. Yeah. So it's that sort of mentality that I think is hurting the WooCommerce ecosystem. Like there isn't an agency support program. There isn't a big conference every year that has the energy of Shopify Unite. There isn't a partner program that really nurtures everybody along. Like with Shopify partners, like you sign up, you're getting an email a day for like 30 days telling you, here's some partner tips. Here's this development thing. Here's this resource. Here's this, here's this, here's this. Guess how many I got from WooCommerce? <laughs> Zero. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it, they're very different ecosystems. And I think it's to the detriment of WooCommerce that they are not putting more energy into that that piece of it because that is a big part of why Shopify has been successful, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And again, I have very little experience from the Shopify side. I just know from what I don't receive from support from WordPress is <laughs> is and, and seeing everything else that's happening. And I guess, look, when you, when you zoom out and take a look at the sheer size of WordPress compared to Shopify, just I'm talking like installed platform base, like that kind of thing. Yeah. The, the, the play for WordPress and, and automatic is when it comes to open source, how are you going to monetize it? It has to be done through like that trust factor. So it's open source. It's super flexible. It's the same message that automatic and you and I can go out and tell a customer and they'll just win by having the most trusted plugin. Uh, Jetpack or uh, premium add-ons from WooCommerce.com or something like that, and they'll win on that trust level. Whereas Shopify, you're just going to go there and spend money. <laughs> like you're choosing that platform, so you're, you you've made the decision to go there, and they're telling you the whole platform is trusted. With WordPress, it's hey, it's great, it's open source, do whatever you want. But by the way. Jetpack is the most trusted way to, to secure and manage your site. And that also comes with whatever, WooCommerce add-ons that you buy for those bundles that they have for like $2.99, $3.99 or whatever. And their argument will be, you trust it because it comes from us. Sure, you can go get Dave's. Go ahead and get Dave's. But you know, you're going to trust us better because we're the, the company behind it kind of thing. So I, I can't fault them for it. It's just one of those things where so many people have pushed towards Jetpack, or excuse me, to, to WooCommerce and WordPress because they love the software and there's no, there's, that love doesn't come back to us. But <laughs> what are yeah. we going to do? Uh, nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do, unfortunately. And the other thing I'm not 
I, I don't like is that, well, so to contrast this, let me say how Shopify does this. So Shopify does do acquisitions on things, but not like, not at the same level that I've seen automatic do it, where they pull in things like MailPoet, right? Or they pull all this stuff in and turn it into Jetpack. Like Shopify is not doing that. They build stuff and they'll build it to a level. Like there was a year, I think it was like the first Unite I went to, and it was maybe two years after I'd acquired Recapture. And they released abandoned cart emails. And those that knew me at the conference were like, so how do you feel about abandoned cart emails and Shopify now? I was like, I feel okay about it because they're just, they're a 60% solution and I'm a 100% solution. And I can tell you like all the shortcomings, it's great for people getting started out and it gives you those tools to get going and get your store off the ground. But it's never serious enough to like take you to the next level. So it'll get you to like the 5,000 a month rate. But after that, it's going to break down pretty quickly because you're just not doing as good of a job as you could be with other apps that are more professional. And I've seen this a little bit in big commerce too, where they build in these features and you know they're okay, but they're not great. And you build your store up to a certain level and then you get these other things and you use them instead. I don't see that with WooCommerce. They're trying to pull in everything and say, okay, we're going to be really good at email. We've got MailPoet now. But are you really the best at email? Because you've got all these other things you're doing too. And you've got this team that's doing MailPoet. And, and I don't want to fault the MailPoet folks. I'm, they're a great plugin and they do a lot. It's just your priorities are going to be driven by the platform, not the customers that are using it. So is that going to make it the best it could possibly be and right. truly drive be driven by the needs of the customers on the platform as opposed to the benevolent dictator for life. Yeah. What's next from, is, is there a next platform play for you to integrate with? I, I think I was looking at another W3 techs report the other day and it, for specifically for e-commerce. And I, I would have to go back and dig this report out. Maybe I saw WooCommerce and, and the Squarespace e-commerce almost like neck and neck. Is that true? Is there, there square? I was like, suddenly like what Squarespace e-commerce is this big? I didn't even realize it. Is that like an area you're going into or another platform that's interesting? We've, I've taken a quick look at Wix and Weebly and Squarespace all kind of in the same breath. There is definitely a, we'll call it an economic shift on this platform where it is, it is aiming for a tier of store that doesn't want to pay as much as you get in Shopify or you want to get in Woo. And it's difficult for me to convince a customer who's paying $4 a month for their e-commerce website to pay $29 for mine. And I know this because of how the pricing worked in Shopify, like the base level in Shopify is $29. And the fact that I align with that makes it easier for me to sell my product because they've already made that mental commitment for $29 there. Getting another $29 isn't that bad. But when you're at four and you jump to 29, that's too big. And that's not a, that's not a battle I, I want to fight. That's not yeah. a set of customers that I think are easy to deal with in that regard. So I've looked at other platforms where we can head up market. So our other e-commerce spaces. So things like Salesforce, cloud commerce, um, things like that. But it's a little trickier to get into that because you kind of need to know some stores to have the testability because it's not like you're just downloading this, installing it and testing it out. You kind of have to work in tandem with somebody else. 
Yeah. So I, I've got some plans. We're kind of cooking that up right now. I don't see, I, I'm keeping an eye on Squarespace and Wix and Weebly. And if they start moving up market to the mid, mid tiers, which is quite possible they could, then it would make a lot of sense to integrate because there's going to be a large customer base there. Yeah. But right now it, it doesn't look economically viable. Yeah. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. I guess that's probably why I was so shocked at the footprint of the Squarespace because I was like, yeah, it makes sense because then you're like, well, what are these people selling there really seriously? Um, probably some like photo prints and a couple of handmade things. That's probably about it. Certainly not an apparel line or kayaks, which you'll probably find on Shopify, right? People who are manufacturing yeah. things, stuff like that. Very cool. Dave Rodenbaugh, recapture.io. Congrats on being a freer man than the last time I talked to you running the business day to day. Where else can folks find you? What else can they look forward to from recapture? Well, we just did our big release uh, the 1st of July for SMS card abandonment and order notifications on recapture. So if you've been itching to try that out or see what that's like, come to recapture.io and check that out. We also have broadcast emails out after Jilt announced their shutdown. We had to make sure that was working to be able to seamlessly migrate folks over. So if you're a former Jilt customer and you're looking for a place to land, we'd love to talk to you at Recapture and see if we can uh, make things work for you. If somebody's looking to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Dave Rodenbaum. I heard you're actually making phone calls too, right? You're calling people up, I am. doing it the old fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you don't have if to I give your really cell phone number. The old fashioned way, I would like knock on their doors and press the flesh, as, as it were. But that that's not <laughs> happening. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone else, Mariport.com, slash subscribe, join the mailing list. Don't forget to tune in to your weekly dose of five minute WordPress news every week at thewpminute.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.